Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning is from the very first book of the Bible. It's the book of Genesis. It's part of the creation story. And I'll be reading from chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, when the United States uh, Supreme Court overturned the constitutional right to abortion in the Dobbs case uh, last summer on June 24th, many rejoiced, believing that it seemed long overdue. Unfortunately, the result has been a firestorm of incendiary remarks, accusations, name-calling, threats, protests, and even riots. It has reignited the debate that has been raging in this country since the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. It is estimated in this country that one-third of the women by the age of 45 have had an abortion. Every year, nearly one million abortions take place in the United States. That's almost double the entire population of Lancaster County, and it would fill Lincoln Financial Field, where the Philadelphia Eagles play, almost 15 times. Since Roe v. Wade, there have been more than 63 million abortions in this country. That's in the last 50 years, impacting women, men, families, and all of our present and future. So, into this crisis, into this red-hot topic, the question for today is this. What is the value of a human life? Well, as Christians, our authority for discovering that answer is found in God's holy word. Now, it's true, the Bible does not contain a single verse regarding abortion. The word abortion never appears in either the Old or New Testament. But the Bible does offer some keen insights into God's perspective about the dignity and worth of human life. If you have a pencil or a pen, you just may want to jot these down on your bulletin. I can always give them to you at another time. Psalm 22, 9 and 10. Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5. Isaiah 49, 1. Luke 1, 41. And Ephesians 1, 4 to 6, just to name a few. But I believe that the place where God speaks most powerfully about the unborn and the sanctity of life is in Psalm 139. So I want to invite you to join me as we take a look at this beautiful passage in the Old Testament, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. Once again, I invite you to follow along on the screen. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. 
You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Oh, holy God, we thank you for this assurance that we receive in Psalm 139 that you are not just a dim, distant deity to whom we are just blips on your uh, cosmic radar screen. We rejoice that you want to know us intimately, completely, and that you love us unconditionally. Help us to draw strength in your love as you surround us up close and personal with your presence today and in all the ages and stages of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You say, well, of course God knows me. God knows everything. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. What's interesting to me is that the Hebrew word for knowing is the word yada. It's a word that is so intimate and so personal that it's the word that the Bible uses for sexual intimacy. If you remember the old King James Version of the Bible, the verse read, Adam knew his wife Eve and she bore a son. God knows us with a deep, personal, passionate, intimate, tender knowledge. And then when we flip over to the New Testament, Jesus explains further how well God knows us. He says, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Now, does that seem strange to you? Does it seem strange to you to be cared for that much? And I say that because it's easy to feel insignificant in the world today. Corporations consider each of us to be no more than 
infinitesimal smidgens of the global market economy. Astronomers describe the Earth as a tiny BB rolling around in the vast boxcar of the universe. And scientists consider humans to be mere particles of flesh, blobs of protoplasm that can come and go in a nanosecond of cosmic time. But to finally come to the place and realize that God wants to truly take the time to get to know me, that's when I am reminded of just how significant I really am. The Bible teaches that human beings are made in the image of God. The Bible says that humanity is set apart uniquely amongst all of God's creation. In fact, in Genesis 1, we read about the creation account and how God made the heavens and the earth. And then on the sixth day, the pinnacle of creation, which I read earlier, God says, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. So friends, think about that for just a moment. That means we are image bearers. We reflect and represent God in a way that nothing else can or does. And so there is a sanctity about human life. Life is sacred because the image of God is ingrained within us. Every life has worth and value. Now, Psalm 139 also exalts in our being known by God through and through. In fact, the psalmist David shouts, the whole reason why I am alive and on planet earth in the first place is because God made me. God made me and everything. You have your own designer label slapped on you, and it does not say made in the USA. We are handcrafted by God. God made you. In fact, I want you to hear how the psalmist describes his prenatal relationship with God. You who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. One commentator talking about verse 14 translated this, translates it this way. I am awesomely wonderful. Imagine, God feels that way about you. Well, that begs the question, just how awesomely wonderful are we? From the very beginning, God forms and weaves us together. And by the way, just as an aside, the term fetus in the Latin simply means offspring or bearing, which is still very much a person. The point is, the formation of the life of a person in the womb is the work of God. It's not this mechanical, rudimentary, cookie-cutter, assembly line process, but a working of weaving and knitting together by God. Let me get just a little bit biological with you for a moment. The egg and the sperm meet, and the 23 pairs of chromosomes of the man and the 23 pairs of chromosomes of the woman come together. And in a miracle of God, each half of those sides of chromosomes are dropped in order to make a unique DNA strand of 23 pairs of chromosomes defining this new life. And this new life has unique chromosomes including its own blood type and a heartbeat. What I, may get, what I am getting at is this. The life of the unborn is the knitting of God. And what God is weaving together is a human being unlike any other, which begins at the moment of 
conception. Just imagine, God's hand was all over your growth and development while you were still in utero. Have you ever wondered what would life be like if we had been born weighing 28,000 pounds? I know my daughter, Emily, who is due to have a baby boy in August, would faint at that thought. <laughs> but that is how much each of us would have weighed if our bodies had continued to grow at the same rate we grew during the first two weeks in the womb. And what's amazing is that at the same time that our cells were dividing at such a breakneck pace, the tiniest details of our bodies and minds were being organized by our Creator God. From our innate ability to shoot a basketball, to the color of our eyes, to the sound of our laugh, all of that stuff comes together while we are no larger than a tiny microscopic dot during those first two weeks of life in the womb. Indeed, I think the psalmist hits the nail on the head when he says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. What we need to do, in my view, is resist the temptation to cave in to those cultural forces that say otherwise. The ones that say, my body, my choice. Or the ones that say, we live in this disposable society where we should throw at anything that is unwanted or inconvenient. Or the side of the debate that lifts up the case of rape, incest, or the life of the mother. Those are anecdotal illustrations that require a further discussion. You know, data is hard to come by in many states on the issue of abortion. But according to records in Florida, abortion in the case of rape, incest, or the life of the mother represents less than 1%. In fact, it's 7 tenths of 1% of all abortions in Florida. The rest are for other reasons. More than 25% want to postpone childbearing. More than 20% can't afford a baby. Nearly 15% have a relationship issue or their partner does not want a child. More than 10% are too young or the parents object to the pregnancy. More than 10% feel a child will disrupt their education or career. Nearly 10% of women don't want any more children. Remember back when the battle cry was that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Remember that? My question is, why rare? I mean, if it's safe and legal, then what's the difference in the frequency unless that we know deep in the recesses of our soul that there is something really morally wrong about abortion? Dick's Sporting Goods has stopped selling certain types of rifles in order to, quote, save the children. We'll talk about guns next week. And yet at the same time, Dick's has now included amongst their employee health benefits a $4,000 reimbursement for anyone having to travel to get an abortion. So much for saving the children. When we talk about this red hot topic of abortion, our starting point for changing people's hearts and minds is God's word. And the understanding that the Bible unequivocally and unashamedly affirms the sanctity of human life. All of life, from womb to tomb. You see, abortion is not the destruction of a potential life. 
Abortion is destroying a life with potential. And I believe that it breaks God's heart. And so we need to be advocates for those who have neither voice nor vote. We need to do all that we can to allow these little ones to experience the fullness of life outside of the womb. Every life is created in the image of God and thus is inherently valuable. And so we need to speak up on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Because when a woman makes a decision to abort a child, she makes an irrevocable decision that not only impacts the life of the child, but also impacts her as a mother forever. As I close, I want you to consider a few other matters. First, holding a biblical pro-life position requires that not only do we advocate for the unborn, but we also advocate for and put ourselves in the position of the one who is considering an abortion. And so we, as the church, ought to be thinking about all that we can to help a woman make the choice for life. It's interesting to me, studies show that Catholics and evangelical Christians are five times more likely to adopt than the general population. So as the church, we need to put our money where our convictions are, like when it comes to crisis pregnancy centers. Here at Chestnut Level, one of our mission outreaches is to the Bethany Christian Services. In its mission statement, Bethany demonstrates, quote, the love and compassion of Jesus Christ by protecting children, empowering youth, and strengthening families through quality social services. We should be out on the front lines offering care, offering support, offering hope to people who feel overwhelmed, lost, or, or trapped with no way out. And then finally, when we talk to people, it should not be in a way that intimidates women who are grappling with this difficult decision by making them feel guilty or by protesting in front of abortion clinics and holding fetuses up in jars. We, we should be better than that. We are to live in the same manner as that of Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth and with forgiveness in our hearts. So, if you are a woman who has had an abortion, or if you are a man or family member who coerced or strong-armed someone you know into having an abortion, I'm here to let you know that you don't have to live with that guilt and shame any longer. Here at Chestnut Lever, no matter what the path is that you have traveled, we want this place to be an oasis, a haven, a church where God's grace and mercy are lifted up. And as much as it should be the church's job to protest and speak against abortion, it's also the church's job to hold out the hope of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that there is forgiveness, that there is healing, that there is hope. 
As you well know, we remain a nation deeply divided on this issue. But God created us in his image. That means every life is precious. Every life is beautiful. Every life matters. Friends, Jesus Christ showed us how much he cares for you and me on the cross by saving our lives. Our value as human beings was never more powerfully demonstrated and evident than in the death of God's only son. For if the cross shows us one thing, is that life is valuable in God's eyes. We matter to God. And something that costs God that much to redeem should never, ever be treated cheaply. Instead, we are to respect, protect, and honor all life because all life is sacred in God's eyes. And every life is a life. Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to redeem. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. We are grateful, O oh God, that from before time, while we were still in our mother's womb, you saw our unformed bodies. Even then, you were weaving us together. On behalf of all the babies in their mother's wombs, we ask for safety, health, and wholeness. We pray for each one that they will be knitted together and made safe. For those who have made the heart-wrenching decision to abort, we ask your Holy Spirit to wash over them. In your goodness and in your great mercy, we ask that they would experience your forgiveness and grace. For your church, help us to live well in that tension of grace and truth, proclaiming the good news, speaking boldly on behalf of the unborn, lifting up the sacredness of life while still offering your love to those who walk with guilt and shame. Give to our nation a vision that lets our hearts be broken with the very things that break your heart. It's through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, that we pray all these things. Amen.